a lot of you have asked on updates on the cholesterol book and my goodness, this thing is turning into a behemoth. I'm up to 433 pages, 9,164, 9,000, I'm sorry, 91,646 words. Now, I did not anticipate this book to end up being this long. I thought I'd write a few chapters, address cholesterol, throw in a couple graphics and a few studies. Um, sort of like the, the, the lectures that I give at medical conferences. I have a lecture, a cholesterol lecture, usually that I give every year to the cardiology fellows. These are cardiologists that we teach and then at some uh, medical conferences. The abridged version of it, I could probably knock out in about an hour, hour 15. But if you want the full in-depth version, it's like four hours. You know, there's like a part one, two, three, four, five, whatever. It's super long. So, when I started doing this book, I actually thought that I would do something similar. I'd put together a quick little, you know, whip together a book and put it out there. But, you know, the perfectionist in me is like, no, you cannot do that. I, I would never accept that. I mean, I just can't. So a lot of you guys noticed that I used to go live every single day on TikTok. Every night I would go on TikTok. My kids would be on there. You guys would be talking to me. We'd be answering questions. It was a lot of fun. People are messaging me and being like, hey, whatever happened to you? How come you're not on uh, TikTok anymore? You're not doing your lives. I'm like, well, I'm doing my book. I'm writing my book. What I've learned over the last uh, five or six months of being live every day is that nobody cared about any of my weight loss stuff. Obviously, I'm a cardiologist and a certified personal trainer, and I've written multiple books on weight loss. People didn't find that that interesting, which I totally understand um, because there's lots of weight loss stuff out there, but there is not a lot of cardiovascular, real lipidology, cardiology from an actual cardiologist out there. All you have out there is a bunch of people who are uh, crazy trying to sell you supplements or some nonsense. Um, so the book, it became that I just had to do this book. Something called to me. Something was like, listen, man, you just got to do this. You need to do this for us, for the rest of the world. And when I do something, I put my all into it. I don't ever half-ass anything. I don't ever do anything like with no effort. If I'm going to do something, I'm like really going to do it. So I had to make sure that this book was going to be awesome. So it started out with a few topics that I'm super passionate about. Um, what I think I'll do... Uh, and so the other thing is like, it's been like seven or eight months now. And literally my wife and kids are like, with the exception of football season, when I had to coach football, um, my wife and kids are like, where are you? Like, I'm stuck in my office going over drafts. I am probably on the maybe 20th <laughs> draft of this book. Now, obviously you don't just redraft the whole thing. You add to it over time. And it's been like seven or eight months now, every night. When, when I get home from work, I lock myself in my room for three to four hours and get to work. It's not typing the material that's the issue. You know, like typing up a paragraph on hypobeta lipoproteinemia, that's not hard. What is hard is then figuring out what graphics should go with it, getting all the articles and the research papers that justify your position. Like if I say, 
X, Y, and Z is how this thing works. You better have the papers and the studies in there because there's going to be some clown online one day in the future that's going to write a review that say, well, the statement he made about this is not entirely true because it needs to be small oxidized LDL or some nonsense. But literally every single statement in there has multiple studies saying that, no, the size of the LDL doesn't matter and the oxidation oxidation status makes no difference. Just an example. But those are the kind of things that are uh, going into this book. Like the thought process that's going in my mind, just so you know, because it's it's complicated. I can't write a book just saying, here's how it is, you should just listen to me, and that's the end of it. I know more than you. Like, first of all, that's arrogant. Um, second of all, that no one will be convinced, no one will care. Not that I'm trying to convince people, but people will just be like, oh, he's just full of himself, he just wrote a book for himself, which I'm not. I'm writing a book for the masses. I'm trying to make it as humanly readable as possible because it is very difficult to break some of these concepts down into third to fifth grade English. They tell you try to write in a third to fifth grade English level for the masses. This is a highly technical book in some cases. I would say it's probably in the seventh grade to high school range. And some parts of it, especially the lipid metabolism part, is probably like you need to be a higher like an upperclassman in high school or maybe even a smart, you know, freshman in uh, college. But definitely I wanted to make sure I cover everything and that's why uh, I went through that. Now, the other part that makes it even more complicated is getting the illustrations right. Some of the papers allow you to use the uh, illustrations as long as you use your citing and you cite the illustrations and whatnot. There are some illustrations that Dr. Thomas Dayspring has drawn up over the years that are super famous and copyrighted to him, actually. So I would ask him and send those, uh, I asked him for permission, and I'd send those drawings to an illustrator to re-illustrate them in a different way, um, different color scheme, totally different like models to not infringe on Dr. Dayspring's uh, uh, copyright. Um, also, Dr. Thomas Dayspring has graciously decided to help me with editing the book. Now, as you can imagine, going back and forth with multiple gigantic Word documents is becoming a nightmare. And uh, 400 plus pages, it's it's 430, and, I, and I'm afraid it's going to be 450. And if you're looking at a book that's almost 500 pages, obviously a lot of it is pictures and drawings and graphics, which are super cool and amazing. Um, but when you're going back and forth with an editor, and somebody helping you, or a co-author, or an editing contributor, or a contributing editor, maybe. I'm not sure. He doesn't, he, I don't know what he's going to want to be listed as. But if he's a contributing editor, and we're going back and forth on a lot of these topics, um, it's going to be an issue, obviously, uh, with gigantic Word documents. So what I had to do, actually, if you want to know the truth, I pulled out all the images from the document so that he only got texts. Then, so I sent him like a Word document that's only text. Then... I sent him a PDF version that is um, with all the graphics and drawings so that when I say the above graphic shows, uh, he, he knows what I'm talking about. And he can also send me back the Word documents that are edited. So that's kind of where we are. But oh my goodness, let me just uh, 
go through this with you guys. So first of all, there's a bunch of special thanks and the dedication. Um, the dedication uh, section is kind of cool. You guys will like it when it comes out. Um, there's the forewords from all the different uh, physicians, researchers, people that I met over the years that I think would um, enjoy this book slash have a lot to say. And there's one obviously from, hopefully if he agrees in the end, Dr. Thomas Dayspring. There's Dr. Terry Simpson, Dr. Matthew Phillips, uh, Dr. Gil Carvalho. I'm working on a couple others, so this may not be the finalist. Dr. Abir Berry, also a cardiologist. And then um, there's a section about who are these authors and why should you actually listen to them. There's a self-exercise, which I think is kind of cool. Um, this is an exercise where you fill out your lipid panel. And then as you read the book, you go back and say, hey, does my lipid panel look okay or not? Um, there's an introduction, why I wrote the book, why expertise matters. And in this world of the internet and online, no one wants to listen to experts anymore. Why you should listen to me. What are the primary sources or textbooks that I use to write this book? And what should you read if you want to read more uh, detailed information uh, about lipids and lipoproteins? Then we dive into ancient cholesterol and mummies and lifespans and, you know, and our ancestors and when cholesterol was developed, discovered, I mean, when lipoproteins were discovered, why does cholesterol matter in the heart, um, the different types of evidence that we can use to determine if cholesterol is real or not, or like data, like you need some background information and data and literature evaluation before you can just jump into a book and be like, oh, you know, why, what does this study mean? Or why is this called this? You need, so there's a little bit of background information like what is a randomized control trial? What is a Mendelian randomization trial? What is a cohort study or epidemiological study? What are the benefits of either of these? What are meta-analyses? What are guidelines? What are consensus statements? Things like that. Just so you kind of know if you're reading some of the articles and studies that are used as data points and references in this book, this is where the data comes from and you'll know how to evaluate those studies. You'll know which ones are better, which ones are stronger, that kind of stuff. Um, then we go through a little bit of the something called the Dunning-Kruger effect where somebody discovers that this one study or this one book and this one way, the only way, you know, someone reads one book or one study and thinks that's the only way to lose weight or that's the only way to lower your cholesterol or that's the only way to do whatever. Um, the Dunning-Kruger effect is huge online. It seems like everybody who lost 100 pounds doing it one single way, thinks that the entire world should do it only in that one single way. Um, then there's a little bit of background information on me, like who am I, how did I get here, um, how did this blow up on social media, and how did people start telling me to write a cholesterol book? Like I thought I was going to go on social media and talk about health and fitness and weight loss and you know some basic cardiology stuff, but no, 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 no. It's all backwards. Everybody wants to hear the cardiology and doesn't care for the you know, weight loss, fitness, whatever, because there's probably billions of other sources of that. But there isn't really a cardiologist out there uh, giving good information. Um, then we get into like what drives me, my motivation, which is basically just educating the public and getting this out there to as many people as humanly possible, leaving this as my legacy so that when I'm long gone, humans, generations from now will have this book, wonderful masterpiece, hopefully work of art that I think it is, uh, for them to uh, learn and teach others. Um, a lot of the books, the only books, so if you go to Amazon.com, this is part of what drives me. If you go to Amazon.com, there's two books, there's three books for sale on, on cholesterol. 
One of them is Impossible to Find, which was actually written by two physicians and cardiologists. That is actually a really good book. That's from 2013, though. The That's 10 years old, That which means that the data in that book is probably 15 to 20 years old. The other two books that are top sellers on Amazon, on cardiology, on, uh, I'm sorry, cholesterol, one book is called The Cholesterol Myth, and one book is called The Cholesterol Con. And both of them talk about how cholesterol doesn't matter, cholesterol is this big joke, it's nonsense, and you should never worry about your cholesterol. They're written by physicians and scientists that are grifters that made up their own meta-analysis and their own data to sell more books. And it worked. They probably made millions of dollars and sold billions of copies. Till today, those are the only two books on Amazon that are even ranked or talked about. So hopefully, once my book comes out, I would really like if people could like write reviews and get that thing ranked ranked up there really high so that you know people actually who know cholesterol are talking about cholesterol and people who want to learn about cholesterol are actually learning about it from people who actually do cholesterol, like people who actually know what they're talking about and people who actually look inside of your arteries. So the next section of the book, we go into like, what is primary and secondary prevention? Like, what does that even mean? What is primordial uh, prevention? And then what about genetics? You know, a lot of this is obviously genetic. What does genetics teach us? The different kinds of multiple gene problems that make your cholesterol higher or lower. We go into preventing atherosclerosis in young adults, uh, youth and adults. Um, then we talk about cholesterol and lipoproteins. Like, first of all, what is cholesterol? How do you measure it? What does total cholesterol mean? What does HDL mean? What does LDL mean? You know, what are lipoproteins? What do they do? How do they carry cholesterol? You know, what's the difference between a lipoprotein and an, and a cholesterol? What is an ApoB? What is not an ApoB? Um, things like that. And then we get into calcium scoring. What is your calcium score? What does it mean? Should we measure it? Should we use it as a marker for anything? Is it useless? What does it actually truly tell us? Um, so that was super important because a lot of people bring that up. Then we get into, can you see soft plaque? A lot of people say, well, what? About, okay, so then how do you see soft plaque? If calcium doesn't help and CT angiograms don't help and whatever doesn't help, then how do you know if you have soft plaque? So we go into how you can actually see soft plaque. Then we get into... Lipids and lipoprotein, chapter seven, we get into, and there's 24 chapters so far, but chapter seven, and there's like 15 things under chapter seven, is lipids and lipoproteins. Um, what are actually lipids and lipoproteins? Not the, the part earlier was like, how are they reported? Then how is cholesterol measured? Why is LDL cholesterol calculated? Direct versus calculated LDL cholesterol. What is ApoB? Why we should care about it? ApoB and atherosclerosis. What is non-HDL and how can we use it? Um, what is lipoprotein little a? Should you fast or not fast before a lipid test? The, do you need inflammation or arterial damage to have atherosclerosis? Because a lot of people used to think that. How do lipoproteins cross into the intima or how do they cross into your artery? Like why are there lipoproteins dumping cholesterol in your arteries? We need to know that. Um, then we go through a whole section with diagrams and amazing pictures of like atherosclerosis on the inside. Like once an LDL particle gets inside your artery, then what happens? You know, and then that whole process of like how it gets taken up and why it gets stuck in there and how it dumps the cholesterol and what happens to the cholesterol and it 
reacts with this and it becomes a foam cell and like all this like really cool stuff with like amazing pictures. Um, now we talk about the blood brain barrier. A lot of people are like, well, you need cholesterol. Your brain is all cholesterol. You need it. Yeah, yeah obviously. So we get into that. The brain makes its own cholesterol and uh, you do not need excess circulating cholesterol. Your brain makes all of it. Then we get into hormones and cholesterol. A lot of people are trying to scare you saying, well, you better eat saturated fat and you better eat cholesterol because if you don't eat enough cholesterol, you're going to have low testosterone and low estrogen and progesterone and cortisol and all this stuff, which is obviously nonsense. But there's an entire chapter dedicated to that because it is true to a certain extent that your testosterone and most of your hormones, signaling hormones, do start off as cholesterol. But it is also true that all the cells in your body can make their own cholesterol. So there's no... It's not mutually exclusive. It's not like one or the other. It's both. But we go into the details of how much of each and what you need and what you don't need. Then we talk about ratios. Do ratios matter? Like the triglyceride to HDL ratio or the HDL to triglyceride ratio or the HDL to total cholesterol ratio or like all these different ratios. The ApoB to A1 ratio and all this um, nonsense. Is HDL cholesterol protective or not? What about oxidized LDL? Does the size of LDL particles matter. There used to be like this huge movement back in the, uh, I'd say early, late 90s, early 2000s, where people were talking about oxidized LDL and the size of the LDL and that the size is really what matters or if it's oxidized, which obviously turned out to be a bunch of nonsense. Um, and then we talk about particle counts. Well, then do particle counts matter? If size and oxidation doesn't matter, do particle counts matter? Then we come to chapter nine. And Chapter 9 is the big bonanza. This is called the intestinal absorption of cholesterol. This is how cholesterol gets into your body or gets out of your body. And it is a behemoth of a chapter. It is the, There's only one topic in chapter 9. This other chapter that I just listed all these topics from was one chapter. Chapter 9 is a chapter all to itself and is called the intense intestinal absorption of cholesterol. And... It is gigantic and long, but it is like amazing. This is like how cholesterol gets absorbed into your intestines through the cells in your intestines, how it ends up in chylomicrons, how it ends up back in your bloodstream because it doesn't go right into circulation, but how it does end up back in your bloodstream, how it ends up in your arteries and your organs and your tissues and where how does cholesterol get from various other cells in your body back to your liver, how much your liver makes or doesn't make, how the cholesterol in your liver then gets dumped back into your intestines. You know, this whole thing with beautiful, gorgeous pictures that the illustrator made based off of Dr. Thomas Dayspring's uh, pictures. And it is like a absolutely just gorgeous, beautiful chapter. Super, super uh, proud of that one. Um, but that's chapter nine. It's a really, really uh, big chapter. Maybe I should break this up. It's getting kind of long. Um, the next one is chapter 10, which is really long, but it's multiple different things. It's different interventions and therapeutics and lifestyle things that could affect cholesterol. So first is interventions and therapeutics. Like of all the different lifestyle things you can make, what is the one thing that makes the most difference? Obviously, it would be like your diet. Right. So we get into that various different lifestyle things, including diet and what have you. Then we talk about the mechanism by which saturated fat 
affects your LDL receptors and cholesterol synthesis. We talk about the French paradox. We talk about the North Karelia project or the findings from that humongous, you know, countrywide study. We talk about modern data on saturated fat, not just the older stuff. We talk about why and how saturated fat may uh, worsen insulin sensitivity. We talk about all the crazy experiments that were done in the 1950s and 60s when they tried to give people, uh, instead of butter, they were trying to give them vegetable oils, but it turned out they were giving them actually trans fats that are atherogenic. They didn't know it was atherogenic at the time. So these are like the Minnesota coronary experiment, the Sydney Diet Heart Study, the rose corn oil experiment. Um, then we get into the LA Veterans trial. All of these were like substitution trials where they wanted to substitute saturated fat out for something more benign or inert and see what the data and outcomes uh, were. Then we get into the keto and carnivore style diets with all of the research surrounding that. Then we talk about coconut oil, milk and dairy, cheese and yogurt, fish oil, the saturated fat that's in dark chocolate. Should you eat fish? What about drinking coffee? Are seed oils good for you? And I think I've beaten that one to death because like literally every day online, somebody wants to talk about seed oils and they have this whole like uh, mob mentality when it comes to like seed oils and carnivore diets. What about eating excess cholesterol like eggs and shrimp and, and whatnot? Then we talk about the dietary cholesterol guidelines, other dietary recommendations by various groups. We talk about does sugar cause heart disease and what is the data on that? We talk about supplements and cardiovascular risk reduction. Like do supplements actually reduce cardiovascular risk? We talk about who uh, owns the supplement companies. You know, that question comes up uh, almost every day too. Research on supplements that may actually affect cardiovascular outcomes. Uh, we talk about summaries of the diet interventions. Um, next is chapter 12, which is does exercise lower your cholesterol? Medications that might lower your cholesterol. And then the next section is what about this whole absolute risk versus relative risk reduction? You know, these people online are like, well, the absolute risk of this therapeutic was only 1%, but you know, the relative risk was 33 and you guys keep saying it's 33% instead of one. Well, we go into why that's a nonsense argument and why it's ridiculous. Um, the next one, the next section we talk about, you know, these other, these online grifters, like this one other cardiologist, I forget his name. He's from England. He says that statins only add four days to your life. So where did that come from? Where does this uh, thought come from about that statins only add uh, four days to your life? Because obviously it's not true. And then we talk about the number needed to treat. We talk about 10-year risk scores and why they might not be as helpful. We talk about statin medications, whether or not they cause diabetes or dementia, whether or not they reduce relative risk or risk of all-cause mortality, risk of cardiovascular mortality. We talk about the elderly and whether or not they should be on statins because there's these books and you know, articles that have been published saying, well, maybe the elderly shouldn't be on statins. We go over more statin studies. We talk about fibrates, zetia, Pempidoic acid, PCSK9 inhibitors, and glycerin, you know, all of those um, therapeutics and various medications. Chapter 13 gets into genetic mutations that can give you a longer life. Um, we talk about centenarians, which are people that live to 100 years, and some of the genetic mutations that they may have, or like what did they do to get to 100. 
we talk about hypo-beta lipoproteinemia and hypo-alpha lipoproteinemia. We talk about cholesterol oozing out of your eyes, which is called familial hypercholesterolemia. And then we talk about A-beta lipoproteinemia. We talk about how low can you actually really go with cholesterol, what is guideline-directed therapy. Then we talk about the latest guidelines and how you can review them or read them or download them. We talk about how low is too low. And we talk about the efficacy of all of these different medications and the charts that show how by how much they reduce your uh, cholesterol. Next, we get into chapter 14 that talks about niacin and how it was toxic to humans. We talk about how most heart attacks happen with normal LDL cholesterol levels, why that is and why that may be and what the data shows with the charts and graphics from all the different studies on that. We talk about atherosclerosis from your birth to your teenage years. And then we talk about are we actually doing a good job at this or not? Chapter 15 goes into do you need injury and inflammation for atherosclerosis? Do you need intact or healthy endothelium for atherosclerosis? Why do arteries get atherosclerosis and not veins? Does Do plaques ever regress? You know, does plaquing ever get better if you treat it, for example? We talk about major factors that contribute to a first heart attack. Um, next is B chapter 16. We, cause, we talk about chasing all-cause mortality and why they, that might not be helpful when doing medical intervention. Medical therapeutic interventions, why you shouldn't be chasing all-cause mortality, but even if you did, it still lowers all-cause mortality and how lowering LDL cholesterol does actually uh, lower all-cause mortality. Then we go over all the studies that the grifters and the haters and the deniers <laughs> want to talk about where they show that low LDL actually increases all-cause mortality, or at least was associated with it, and why that's not actually true. Chapter 17 goes into debunking all of the other cholesterol books and why they're mostly nonsense. Um, then we talk about these people who call themselves lean mass hyper-responders. They say they're metabolically healthy, they're lean, they're young, they're healthy, their triglycerides are low, their HDL is supposedly high, and their lipid, their uh, LDL cholesterol is through the roof because they eat this crazy diet that includes a lot of saturated fat. So we go over the data on that because they think it's never been studied before, but obviously it has. We go over all the studies that studied these exact people with 5,000 people, 4,000 people, 10,000 people of these exact super lean Zero calcium score, um, healthy young people. We go into like um, whether or not you need insulin resistance to have diabetes or to have atherosclerosis, how to measure it. You know, why do I care so much about diabetes? That's like an entire chapter going into the details of diabetes and how it can or cannot affect uh, atherosclerosis. Um, chapter 18 is women and menopause. Uh, as well as hormone replacement therapy, like which women and when, if they need hormone replacement therapy, how that can affect your lipids or not affect your lipids. Um, we talk about men and testosterone and how that can affect your uh, lipids or not, or like your lifespan, like your uh, cholesterol, atherosclerosis and whatnot. Um then chapter 19 is, what if we eliminated all residual risk? It's a great um, chapter on how can we eliminate all residual risk? Based on everything we know now, 
can we get rid of atherosclerosis completely or just eliminate it from the beginning, like, you know, however we do that. Next, we talk about dietary eating patterns that reduce cardiovascular risk. And these are, we get into the blue, blue zones, the Mediterranean diet. These are like exact, like actual eating patterns. You know, what diet should you actually do to reduce your risk of atherosclerosis and uh, heart disease? Um, next. So yeah, so there we talk about blue zones, the Mediterranean diet, what does the science say, vegan, what about if you eat vegan or plant-based, what about all red meat diets or red meat intake, what about grass-fed versus non-grass-fed, should you eat fish or not. Chapter 21 was really fun, it was mostly about cardiac testing, like what test do you need for which problems? A lot of people online ask me, you know, if I'm short of breath, what test do I need? Or if I'm getting like this weird pain between my shoulder blades, what test do I need? So this kind of goes through that. We talk about cardiac testing, when you should get an EKG or a Holter monitor or get a loop recorder. When should you get an ultrasound of your heart, which is actually called an echocardiogram. When should you get a CT scan of your heart or a cardiac MRI or a stress test or various blood tests. So we go into all the data on like if you're having X, Y, and Z symptoms, this is the test that you need. Uh, chapter 22 goes into the more invasive tests. Um, these are like card <clears throat> cardiac angiography and angioplasty. If you need a cardiac catheterization, we go into your arteries, take pictures, and blow up stents and balloons in there if we need to. Um, next, I, next is chapter 23. I go into like what tests do I recommend? So based on everything we just talked about, what tests would I recommend people to have? Um, pretty cool chapter. I like that one a lot because this is literally what I order on everyone, depending on like what they have. The next one is chapter 24, which is the last one, hopefully for now. Actually, no, never mind. I lied. There's the 25. But chapter 24 is what I called advanced lipidology. And this is like your NMR testing, your VAP testing, your ion mobility testing. Why are we testing ApoB again? And how do we test it? The cholesterol balance test. Um, living your longest life, how to live to a hundred, you know, uh, uh, suggestions on how to get to over a hundred, um, Swedish centurion study, you know, how do these people get to over a hundred in Sweden, your lifespan versus your health span, unintentional injuries and accidents, suicide. We go into all the most common causes of death in the United States. And then we attack, like, how can you fix that? So we go through like on Obviously, heart disease is number one, cancer is number two. Then we go into like suicide, influenza, pneumonia, chronic low respiratory disease, kidney disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's, stroke, hypertension, etc. All these things we can do to attack all of these top 10 killers so that hopefully if we knock out most of these killers, these the top 10 reasons why people die in the United States, then we'll be able to prolong life uh, even more. Um, chapter 25 is my approach to treating lipids. Um, these are uh, case studies where it's like John is a 35-year-old male who had LDL cholesterol of 134 for the majority of his life. He's not diabetic. He's somewhat overweight and he's been smoking for 32 years. He comes into the office. What would you do? So John would be like the most benign case, you know, an 18-year-old with a little bit of Elevated cholesterol, you know, there's nothing, not a whole lot to do. All the way to like, you know, 68-year-old Mindy who's had three open heart surgeries, five aortic valve replacements, LDL cholesterol of 3,000, you know, like the craziest cases. So we go through maybe like 15 or 20 cases that are all really cool 
with pictures of the individuals that represent that case. So it would be like Sana is a 70 or I don't know, 15 year old female with familial hypercholesterolemia. Her last LDL cholesterol was 189. What would we do? Assuming she, you know, whatever, whatever. So they're really cool cases with pictures. You know, Jenna or Mindy is a 54 year old, you know, female who's super athletic, airline pilot, you know, or whatever it is. You know, really cool case studies. I think you guys would actually like those uh, quite a bit. Um, and I think that's kind of it uh, on that. Um, I don't know. If you want to know when this book comes out, it's going to be a pretty awesome book if you ask me. But if you want to know when it comes out, go to drallo.net slash cholesterol. The, that link is in my links section. Click on my links and you'll be the first to know when that book comes out. Plus, you'll get a bunch of bonuses, some previews of the book, some nice graphics and charts from it. You'll get my lipid guide, my macro guide, my five-step guide. You get a whole bunch of cool stuff. Um, so go to drallo.net slash cholesterol and grab all the free stuff. I love you all. Hope you enjoyed this and we will talk later. Peace. <laughs>